Uh, well, listen, we just sing about the goodness of God. If, if, you, if you have tasted of the goodness of God, would you just say amen today? I mean, if you have something to give God thanks for today, would you say thank you, Jesus? All right, we're having fun today. Uh, well, well, it is so good to be with you. My name is Pastor Tanner Turley. I serve as one of our pastors here at Redemption Hill. If you are new or newish to RHC, we're so thankful that you've been able to come today and join us for worship. Uh, we have an app that you can download and get the worship guide and, and find ways to connect with us. And if you've never taken the opportunity to fill out our digital connect card, whether you are in the room or worshiping online, we would love for you to do that because we value relationships in our church and we want to get to know uh, everyone who is able to come and worship with us. So uh, one other note for, for those that who, of you who are new to RHC, we have what we call next happening immediately after the service in the lobby. Pastor John is going to be leading that for us and it's a great way to connect with a few other people, new and not so new, as well as learn about the vision and values of RHC. So that's, that's 15 minutes. We'll get you in and out quickly, uh, but we would love for you to stick around for that if you haven't had the opportunity to take advantage of that. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 as we continue seeing Jesus in the final days and hours of his life. Uh, we're starting in verse 26 this morning. And as we come to Mark chapter 14, we are confronted by some of the most sobering scenes from the life of Jesus. These verses demand our attention, not only because they teach us about the life of Christ, but they stand to teach us so much about ourselves as well. Of the billions of people who have walked planet Earth, no one understands our fallen world like Jesus Christ. The challenges we face, and then the really difficult times we face, Jesus understands them all. The really difficult times we face, and then the deep seasons of pain, listen, Jesus understands. The, the, the seasons of deep pain. And even the times that feel like they are going to crush us, Jesus understands. When I was 14 years old, my mother was diagnosed with bladder cancer. It was a season of, of deep pain. I didn't even really hardly know what cancer was as a, a teenager. I just kind of innocent and oblivious to, to really what that word meant. And it was marked a season of deep pain. But then I think about my wife who was 26 years old when she lost her dad to brain cancer. And this was a time of crushing. 
We can think about the relational uh, challenges and difficulties we face. All of us, to some degree, have probably faced times of relational abandonment where the people around us, perhaps somewhere close to or very close to, walk away from us for whatever reason, and we feel a season of deep pain. But then there are other times when you couple that reality with the, the uh, heinous uh, presence of abuse. And that is a time of crushing. And so I just want to say to you, listen, I'm, I'm, I've lived long enough to, to know this, that, that no, matter, no matter what you are experiencing in life, all of us, 100% of us, experience some level of brokenness in our world. Maybe, maybe your experience of brokenness these days is not that weighty or crushing, but then for some of you, maybe you are really going through a deep season of pain, maybe even a time of crushing. And, and what you need to hear, I believe, more than anything else, and listen, as sure as I say it, I know that it's going to be hard for you to believe it and especially to remember it in the times when you're really going through it, but what you need to know above everything else is, listen, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. We see this from Mark 14, but then even Hebrews 4 makes it so explicit when it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And these were people that were experiencing suffering. They were experiencing persecution. People were coming against them. And the writer is saying, hey, hold on, hold fast. And this is why you can hold fast when it continues. And it says this, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I want to read that again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus understands. He understands all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the times of crushing that you have faced, are facing, or will face. Jesus understands. And Mark is going to take us through three scenes in the life of Christ that point to a most difficult time of crushing in his life as his closest friends abandon him. As he stares down the cross, the, the place of his crucifixion looming just hours ahead and ultimately his betrayal by one of his closest followers as he is handed over to the authorities. We see all of this unfolding in the life of Jesus Christ in these verses. So if you would read along as I read verses 26 through 52 of Mark chapter 14. This is what Mark writes. He says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. 
And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately he was, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day by day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray one more time. Father, we ask that in these moments as we look to the life of Christ and we hear the words that you have given us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts, God, as you speak to us from your holy word. 
God, whatever pain, whatever brokenness, perhaps that's already entered into our minds this morning, what we've been experiencing over the past days, weeks, months, even years, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us about that pain, that you would speak to us about that crushing, that what we find in the life of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, would encourage our hearts today to keep moving forward and to see you do a great work in our souls. We pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. This chapter provides one all-important truth for us to consider and receive this morning, and that is simply this. When you face times of crushing, look to Christ. When you face times of crushing, and you know this, times of crushing are sure to come. When those times come, listen, what we, what we see in the scriptures is that we can look to Christ. We're going to look to Christ and see how he handles these moments of crushing in three different scenes here in the final hours of his life. Number one, we, we see this. When faced with crushing abandonment, Jesus remained resolute. When faced with crushing abandonment, Jesus remained resolute. We see in verse 26 that the Passover meal ends with a final hymn, probably the Hallel Psalms of Psalm 115 through 118. And as they leave the upper room, they begin their journey to the Mount of Olives where they had just spent time uh, just hours before. And it's probably during this journey from the upper room to the Mount of Olives that Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. And he gives them the shocking news in verse 27 when he says the weighty words, you will all fall away. I mean, we need to pause and step back and remember just hours before, maybe even minutes before, as they were sharing the final meal together, the Passover meal, Jesus had predicted that one of the 12 would betray him. Judas would betray him into the hands of the authorities. And now, after that, he is saying, it's, it's not just Judas. Listen, you all are going to abandon me. The verb that he uses here for fall away, you will all fall away, it communicates a serious spiritual failure. And the disciples surely were listening in disbelief. They, they probably could not have believed their ears, and yet Jesus points them to the words of Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where he quotes and says, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. These were words that the disciples would have been familiar with. These were dis the words that the disciples would have willingly embraced. And now, to their amazement and, and disbelief, Jesus is saying, these words are about you. Zechariah 13, verse 7 says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. This is Jesus Christ, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. We hear two key truths in the words of this prophecy. Number one, strike the shepherd. When, when 
the words of Zechariah 13 say, strike the shepherd, they are clearly pointing us to the cross where Jesus, as the good shepherd, will lay down his life for his sheep. He, he calls himself in John chapter 10, the good shepherd. The good shepherd leads the sheep. The good shepherd uh, teaches the sheep, protects the sheep, cares for the sheep. But ultimately, Jesus says that he, as the good shepherd, will lay down his life for the sheep. He actually says it three times. The shepherd is about to be struck. But not only will the shepherd be struck, but his sheep, his closest followers, will abandon him. When Jesus goes through his greatest moments of suffering, his disciples will run and hide. This was foretold hundreds of years before these moments unfold. And this news, as we might imagine, they don't sit well with the disciples. And so Peter, with his naive bravado, speaks up. And, and look at what he says in verse 29. He says, listen, even though they all fall away, I will not I mean, just think about the pride and presumption in Peter's words here. For starters, he, he says, hey, listen, I mean, think about the implications. He's with, you know, 10 of the other disciples. Judas is over going to do his thing to betray Jesus, but there are 10 other disciples. And Peter is basically saying, hey, even if these 10 other bums deny you and run from you and abandon you, I'm not going to. I mean, I'm sure they all appreciated Peter's, you know, words in that, right? I mean, so like, number one, he's, he's, he's just immensely um, irrational in his thinking. But then what is much worse is he actually denies and contradicts the very words that Jesus spoke. He's, he's basically saying, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. And think about the last time this happened when, when Jesus predicted that he would go to the cross and Peter says, hey, no, 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 you're not. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. This was not a wise move on Peter's part, but Jesus then clarifies and specifies in verse 30 when he says, truly, I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. But maybe to your amazement and mine, when Jesus doubles down, Peter doubles down as well. With fire in his eyes and increasing volume in his voice, Peter emphatically says, the text says, he emphatically says, even if I die with you, I will not deny you. And I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in my life where I've told Jesus, Jesus, I'm not going there again. Jesus, I, I denied you once in this particular way, but Jesus, no more. I won't do it again. Only in my pride to fall again and again. Peter, like us, needed to learn the words, relearn the words of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, when it says this, pride goes before destruction in a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter's words are laced with pride and presumption. He fell prey to the, I've got this mentality. He fell prey to the, I would never presumption. 
Peter failed to recognize the deep capacity for evil that was lodged in his heart. And as we finish this chapter, uh, this section of the chapter, we see in verses 50 through 52 that these words of Jesus' prophecy came true. It says that they all left him and fled. Even this young man, uh, in verses 51 and 52, ultimately flee away from Jesus. And even as we see their abandonment, listen, we need to consider our own lives. We need to consider our own devotion. We need to consider how closely we're following Jesus day by day to where we have said, Jesus, you're my Lord. I will follow you. What you say goes, except in this area of my life. Or, or maybe, maybe things are going really good for you spiritually. And I, listen, I hope they are. I pray that they are. But we need to remember the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, where it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We all experience times of falling and failure in our walk with Christ. And when we fall, when we fail, we need to step back and remember that Jesus offers us grace and forgiveness when we rise up again, turn from our ways and say, forgive me, help me to live faithfully devoted to you moving forward. In spite of Peter and the disciples' failure, Jesus remains faithful. And I love, I mean, just think about your friends, your closest friends are about to abandon you. And in these moments, not only do you know that and you tell them that, but you even offer words of hope to them that we see in verse 28 when Jesus says this. He says, after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. As sure as he faces the sting of abandonment, Jesus is offering words of hope to his disciples in spite of what he is about to endure. So number one, listen, Jesus looked past the pain. He remained resolute even when facing crushing abandonment. Then number two, we see in verses 32 through 42, when faced with the crushing of crucifixion, Jesus fully surrendered. When faced with the crushing of crucifixion, Jesus fully surrendered. As we begin in verse 32, Thursday is moving into Friday. And aside from the cross, when he is going to die for the sin of the world, this was no doubt Jesus' most significant moments of crushing. This place of prayer provides a visible picture of what was happening invisibly in Jesus' soul. And you say, Tanner, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, this place was called Gethsemane. We need to remember that this was the Mount of Olives where all of these olive trees, olive orchards, uh, you know, grew on the side of the mountain. And Gethsemane means olive press. It was the place where olives were pressed and crushed so that they would yield a harvest of precious oil that was used for various uh, you know, uses in ancient Israel. 
And so what is happening in the, the place of crushing is a picture of what is happening of, in Jesus' soul as he is being crushed under the weight of what he faces just hours away from his crucifixion. The text tells us that Jesus tells some of his disciples to sit over here while he prays, but then he takes Peter, James, and John, his, what are probably his three closest disciples, with him to pray. And, and I don't know about you, but it's worth pausing and considering saying, hey, listen, if in his moments of crushing, in his moments of suffering, Jesus needed a few people around him to support him and to pray with him, just to be with him, how much more do we need an inner circle of people to walk with us and to be with us in our moments of crushing as well. This is why you hear us talk about so much at Redemption Hill, not just we love Sundays, we're so thankful for Sundays, but we want to see people connect in smaller groups through community groups. And as Pastor John uh, shared last week with uh, discipleship groups, these are groups of three to five people that can walk together as we follow Jesus. Listen, we all need people in our life. Who are your go-to people that when you're going through it, when you need someone to pray with you, when you just need a, a listening ear to, to hear what is happening in your soul, who are the people that you you call. Listen, if, if, you, if you can't identify two or three or four or five people in your life, listen, begin praying for those people now and seek to, to be those kind of people, be those kinds of friends so that God will raise up people for you and that you can be that for others. And so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and verse 33 says that he was greatly distressed and troubled. In these words, we are reminded that Jesus, though fully divine, fully the Son of God, was also fully human. That Jesus experienced the full range of human emotions just as we do in our earthly life. So Jesus experienced all of them in his earthly life. And Mark describes the weight of what he's feeling. It says that Jesus was greatly distressed. He was greatly troubled. It pointed to the deep-seated anxiety and stress in his soul, the pressure he was feeling. Verse 34, he tells Peter, James, and John, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. The New Living Translation puts it this way, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus was so overwhelmed with sorrow that it felt like the taste of death. And in the intensity of his despair, his words echo the righteous sufferer of Psalm 55. Listen to these words of the psalmist that are depicted here in the life of Christ as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, it says this, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop, drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror over Whelms me. Psalm 55, verses 1 through 5. What a, 
what an accurate picture of what Jesus, our Savior, is experiencing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do when these moments of crushing come? Verse 35 tells us when it says that going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass. Jesus is saying, Father, if there's any other way to accomplish your plan of salvation, I'll take it. And then in verse 36, we see the heart of his prayer that teaches us the heart of prayer, and I want us to examine it closely. Verse 36 says this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus begins, just as he taught us in the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer to pray, Our Father. Jesus begins by praying, Abba, Father. It's a term that reflects the deep intimacy that he shared with God the Father. This is where prayer always begins because prayer is always about relationship. But then after he says, Abba, Father, he confesses what he knows to be true about the Father. He declares in faith and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So listen, listen, we need to start in prayer with who God is, but once we understand who he is, it's only natural to call on his name for him to do what only he can do. So, so start with who he is and understand why we sing these songs and we need to understand that our God is good, that he is faithful, that he does have the victory. Listen, and that when we understand that, then that can lead us to pray bold prayers like God all things are possible for you. And then Jesus teaches us what Paul Miller says are the two things we should do when we pray. I know Pastor John Chastain, when he teaches on prayers, he loves to come to this statement. Paul Miller says this, we need to ask boldly and we need to surrender completely. On the one hand, we ask boldly. We come to God and we ask for whatever that he has put in our hearts. We can ask him anything. But ultimately, we surrender completely to his plan and his will for our world and for our lives. Jesus makes a very, very, very bold request in these words when he says, remove this cup from me. You see, the moments of Jesus crushing are found in the cup. The cup refers to the spiritual suffering that he is about to endure as he, the innocent son of God, is going to suffer unjustly for the sin of the world. The cup that Jesus is about to drink is nothing other than the cup of God's wrath. God's just anger against all sin that the world has committed, including us. 
And this is so weighty. Listen, this is so personal too. I hope you're really considering your own life and how your own sin was what nailed Jesus to the cross, that that he drank the cup of God's wrath. And Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17 says that the cup of wrath is called the cup of staggering. Think about that. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he sees what awaits him there, that he is going to suffer for the sin of the world. The Bible says that Jesus took on our sin. He bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might become the righteousness of God. And listen, just one sin, we need to hear this, just one sin would have nailed Jesus to the cross. And I know you may be saying like, Pastor Tanner, that that seems unfair. And the reason that that's our inclination or like first, you know, gut level response is because we do not understand how perfect God is. God is holy, holy, holy. It means he's he's so different than us. He's set apart. He's perfect in all of his, his character and attributes and being and and works. And so just one sin, just one time we say, no, God, I've got this. Um, No, God, I'm going to choose my own apparent wisdom. Uh, God, I want to value you, but I really want to value these other things more than you. And so that makes me an idolater. And like every time we turn away from God, just one of those sins would have nailed Jesus to the cross. But if we step back and think about our lives... You can multiply one by 100, by hundreds and hundreds and thousands of thousands of times that we have said, no, God, I've got this. No, God, I'm going to do my own thing. No, God, I'm going to value these things more than I value you. And you multiply all of your personal sin by all of the sin of hundreds and of millions and billions of people. And listen, that's what Jesus was facing as he was about to go to the cross. He's staring down the cup of God's just judgment and wrath, the cup of staggering, and he is asking, Father, if there is some other way to accomplish this salvation of the world that people might have their sins forgiven and that that you might be satisfied in your justice and, and the offense of humanity against you, would you bring about another way? And yet, even as he prays this bold prayer, he continues and he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus surrenders completely to the will of the Father. He says, Father, I would love for there to be another way, but if this is the way that you have chosen, then I am going to trust you and to follow you. I think we need to see here that when Jesus met his greatest moments of suffering, the reflex of his heart was to pray. And, and, and listen, if you, listen, if you make prayer the priority of your life, then whatever you're going through, whenever you face it, you're going to be ready to 
fall on your knees, fall on your face, and cry out to Abba Father and say, hey, I don't like this, and if you would take it away, that would really be great in my book, but even if you don't, I trust you, I love you, I surrender to your will. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. This isn't just talking about Gethsemane, right, because it says in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered these prayers with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus models for us whenever we face crushing moments, seasons of pain in our lives, we can can surrender completely to the will of the Father because we know him and we trust him and we know that he is ultimately with us in all of our pain and suffering. Sadly, this was not the case for the disciples. In these moments of pain, we ask, where are the disciples? One minute, they are proclaiming their death-welcoming, you know, devotion to Jesus. And then a few minutes later, they are asleep. Jesus prays for an hour. He comes back, Peter, well, hey, you, can't, you can't stay up and watch and pray for one hour, Peter? And then verses 39 through 41 says that Jesus goes and he prays a second time and a third time. And each time when he comes back, the disciples are what? The disciples are sleeping. And Jesus again exposes the nature of our hearts when he says, listen, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. No doubt the disciples wanted to be faithful to Christ, but they couldn't muster the physical or spiritual strength to pray for this hour with Christ. But Jesus, in spite of the crushing weight he faced in the cross, displays a heart of full surrender. And then finally, number three, we learned this. When, when faced with crushing betrayal, Jesus was found faithful. When faced with crushing betrayal, Jesus was found faithful. We, we come to the time of his betrayal when he is going to be handed over by Judas to the political and religious authorities. And and what we find here is that the text tells us that Judas comes with this like mob-like crowd. There's there's tons of people. They have swords. They have clubs. And because it's so late at night, in the middle of the night, Judas says, hey, you need to know who you're going to arrest. So I'm going to go up and give him the customary greeting in first century Israel, which would have been a simple kiss on the cheek. But the tragic irony, as we know, is what should have been a kiss of friendship and affection is actually a kiss of betrayal. When Judas identifies Jesus through this, this kiss, the 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 mob begins to seize Jesus and verse 47 says that one of the bystanders drew out his sword and cut off the the ear of the high priest's servant. We know Luke tells us that when when one of one of those in Jesus uh, you know crew did that to the to the high priest's servant that Jesus immediately healed him and restored his ear and his hearing. But, but then Jesus points out the, the irrationality of their actions in verses 48 and 49. He first defends his character and his innocence by saying this, have you come out against a robber? 
with swords and clubs to capture me? And then he highlights the underhanded nature of their arrest by saying this, hey, listen, if I did something wrong, why not come and arrest me during the day? I mean, day after day after day, I'm in the temple. You, you see me right there. I mean, but he's pointing out that they had to hide their injustice in the dark. They had to go about their evil schemes when no one was looking. But immediately after he says this, don't miss the end of verse 49. What does Jesus say? He says, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. This brings us in to the heart of what's happening in Mark chapter 14. Mark is showing us that though Jesus is being betrayed and he's under arrest now and he's about to be falsely accused and tried and, and incriminated and then crucified, listen, and all of this is happening unjustly, ultimately Jesus is in control. Jesus has predicted his death over and over and over again in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, as well as chapter 9, verse 12 and, 41, and 14, verse 21. And because, listen, because Jesus knew that this was the purposed plan of God, this is what enabled him to move into and past his suffering. If we were to step back and ask these questions, how did Jesus remain resolute in the face of abandonment? We should look back to verse 27 where he says, for it is written. He trusted God's plan. He knew that this was God's plan for his life and for his world. If we ask the question, how did Jesus face the just judgment of God in the cross, we can look to verse 36 where he depends on the Father and surrenders his will to the will of the Father in the words, yet not what I will, but what you will. When we ask how did, was Jesus found faithful in the face of crushing betrayal, once again, we see that he trusts the Father's plan in verse 49, he says, let the scriptures be fulfilled. Whenever we face times of deep pain, whenever we face times of crushing, our hearts are going to be lean in one of two directions. We will either look to Christ or we will look to another solution. And I know if you're anything like me, a lot of times the reflex of your heart is to look for a change in external circumstances. God, if you would just take this away, or if you would just show up and do this, and if I don't uh, rely on a change of circumstances, then maybe it's self-resolve, or maybe it's external resources, if we can just pile up enough wisdom, enough money, enough, uh, you know, uh, wisdom from people in our lives, community to help us work through this issue, problem, suffering, uh, and find a solution, then we'll do it. But ultimately, we must first and foremost look to Jesus Christ. When we face times of crushing, look to Christ. 
I want to invite the, the band to come up, and they're going to lead us in a time of, of singing in response. But I want to ask you as they do so to, to not just kind of move on, like, hey, the sermon's over, and now we're going to like sing and be out of here. I want to ask you, what is it in your life? What, what point of brokenness are you facing? What is the suffering going on that maybe even feels like a time of crushing? I want to ask you to identify it, to name it, and to begin to pray, even silently where you are, to say, God, if you are willing, all things are possible for you. Listen, would you remove this from me? Would you change my, my, my circumstance? Would you bring healing? Would you, would you do what only you can do, but yet not what I will, but what you will? So if you would bow your head and close your eyes, I want to give you just a few moments to pray, and then I'm going to pray as well as we move into a time of, of, of seeking God's faith in light of what we've heard. Father, we are thankful that you understand every ounce of pain that we experience in this life, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual or relational or all of the above. God, we thank you that you understand. And God, we thank you that you are enough in the moments of our pain and suffering that we can trust your presence, we can call on your name, we can experience the strength of being able to pray with Jesus, yet not what I will, what you will. And so, God, we thank you that even in these moments, you know every point of pain that people are praying and voicing to you. And, God, we ask that you would comfort each and every soul here today, each and every soul worshiping online, Lord, that you would meet us where we are and that you would draw us near, and that we would draw near to you, and that we would find enough hope in Christ, love in Christ, purpose in Christ, to keep moving forward as we seek to follow him. We pray in his name. Amen.